Hi, uh, this is another episode of Pulling the Threads podcast, and I'm interviewing Apostate Anne from the Apostate uh, Mind podcast. And um, yeah, so uh, you want to tell me a bit of your background? Were you raised Christian? Um, what was, I guess, your faith upbringing? Yeah, so I couldn't say that I grew up religious. I didn't grow up in the church per se, but I grew up in the South and I did have a very religious family, aunts, uncles, cousins. Um, and so I feel like everybody around me was always religious because I feel like that's all I've ever known. And yeah, that was the majority of everybody's beliefs around me, but I didn't grow up in the church. Okay. Um, Oh, so then later on down the road, um, my, my husband got married. Someone advised us like, hey, for to have a good successful marriage, it's good to center your relationship in Christ. And the closer you get to Christ, you know, the closer you are to each other. So we really started going to church together. We were baptized together. Then my husband really you know, got on fire for the Lord and, and started to pursue a bachelor's degree, then a master's degree in biblical studies. He became a pastor. So then I was, you know, the pastor's wife. And um, even before that, I would always like go on mission trips and be trying to live a, a godly life, even though I wasn't deep into the religion until later on. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I have to say that that's quite different to you now um I, I don't know coming out as an apostate uh in your in your name there you know so um so you were involved with missions and stuff um do you, uh so part of like uh, like the intersection with us like i don't know if you mind me saying but uh i went to covenant church uh i don't know <laughs> if that's something you're comfortable yeah that's saying. Where, where we were baptized okay so, yeah, I mean, I, I find that that's interesting that, you know, I'm in San Diego now and kind of on a similar journey of deconstructing, moving away from Christianity, looking for more scientific, historically grounded truth, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so now you did. Did you go to Bible college or anything or were you involved in ministry uh, yourself? Well, I went to a Methodist school, but it wasn't like a practicing religious school, but because I was a music major at the time, I was recruited by the local campus ministry to be part of their worship team. So like, that's when I was learning a lot of the worship songs for the first time, the songs that other people grew up knowing and singing. Um, And so that was sort of my involvement in the church in addition to like teaching Sunday school and um, volunteering and, and that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, you did some mission trips. Where, where did you do mission trips to? I did a week in San Francisco serving the homeless, a week in Nashville serving the homeless out there, and then a week in Juarez, Mexico uh, building houses. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I was involved with missions work, uh, helped build a church down Tijuana area, you know, did missions in Europe and Mexico and stuff like that. So I, yeah, I can relate to that. So, um, 
yeah the the so you were on the the worship team uh involved with worship music a bit yes um so i don't know it depends on what traditions you come from but um the traditions i was in there was this idea of um you saturate them in the music to get them uh more pliable to obeying the word kind of thing how how would you track that were you totally were you you're you're preparing their hearts to receive the message and yeah. yeah that's something i definitely heard is like it's not necessarily the message where the transformation's happening it's you know the worship time that's when you see people really feeling it and and definitely like having the performance and music background and then going to the church world that was some of the similarities I saw is that sometimes, you know, it is somewhat put on and they do say like, okay, you know, put your hands up and close your eyes and like those kind of things to make it more, you know, you're leading worship, you're leading others to also feel free to do the same thing. But um, there's some, a lot of intention behind all of that. Yeah, very performative. Um... They, you know, there are uh, what well, uh, the Vineyard Church they they called power evangelism, but their their whole thing was you saturate them in the music, and then it prepares them to be receptive to the word, very more coercive. You know, one of the guys I interviewed recently was former Calvary Chapel, and you know mm -hmm. he was pretty aware of of that whole thing. Um, what what tradition of Christianity were you guys like? What kind of vein did you guys go in? I would say non-denominational, but as you know, Covenant Church is a little bit more evangelical. You know, they may speak in tongues. Um, so I also have some exposure to that, like healing by touching and and prophecy, um, speaking in tongues. I, I was also exposed to that. What is your perspective? Or charismatic. Uh, evangelical charismatic. Yeah, that's the word. Yes. Um, <clears throat> What is your perspective now of the prophecy and the healing? Because we're going to kind of jump around now just because I kind of feel like it's a good thing to ask at this point. Um, we haven't got to your journey, how you've you come to believe differently than that. But um, let's just kind of hop forward in time. Yeah. Uh, what 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 how do you explain prophecy and healing now healing? I'll define some of my experience a little bit. Um, demon possession, stuff like that. I experienced people who were allegedly demon possessed uh, on mission trips, people who've experienced emotional abuse, and I know they have a traumatic personal life. Um, and I've never seen healing that uh, was miraculous and couldn't be explained by I don't know if you've heard the placebo effect, but have you ever seen anything in the realm of prophetic or healing that you would say was miraculous or how do you view that now? No, I, I haven't. And it wasn't until I let go of the belief or that I was challenging my beliefs that I really reflected on all those things that I thought were you know, a healing or a prophecy and was like, well, that was pretty vague as far as prophecy goes, or yeah, that could be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like a prophet tells you 
you're traveling to Europe. And so you buy a ticket to Europe and ooh, that prophecy came true. But in terms of healing, like there was nothing even close. I mean, and I, I had visitors come to the church that were healers and I had my, you know, sick grandfather come and, you know, made sure he got to the front of the line to get prayed over. And, you know, there was never anything that I can speak to, to say there was a healing that took place. So were you at Covenant Church when uh, they kind of had a focus on the being health ministries? I don't know. There was there was a there was a group that would meet there and it was it was based out of um, it was interesting because it was based out of Georgia and, and they were having because uh, I remember when I because so part of my story, uh, I, I was going to Covenant Church when I around the time that I met my ex. And we started couples counseling there. Um, but yeah, while we were there, that they had started uh, doing like this being help ministry thing. Uh, but that was circa 2006, maybe. Uh, so I don't know what time you guys went there. Um, but anyways, it was focused on healing. Um, and to be honest, um, in all of my experience, and you touched on like the prophecy and the healing, I was involved with a lot of big name ministries. Uh, I don't know if you know of the Brownsville Revival, Pensacola, Florida. Like I traveled out there. There were people who came to the church I was at. Um, there was a lot of passionate preaching, the laying on of hands, everybody falling out. Um, mm -hmm. I remember one experience. It was uh, somebody was praying over me and it's the only time I fell down but it wasn't because of anything spiritual. His breath was so bad. I wanted to get away. <laughs> it was bad. And after that, I like, I went up to the pastor because I, I worked at the church and I was like, we need Tic Tacs. <laughs> so. And there's um, also that social pressure, right? You can't be the only one not falling back. What's that going to say about you? Right. So <laughs> yeah, it, there was a lot of pressure and I would say because I had experienced a, you know, like abuse in my childhood and trauma, when somebody's offering something, um, there's a belief paradox that somebody told me that if you're told for like a year that you have a mole on your head, but you don't have a mole on your head, you'll start to believe it. And over time, your body will start to manifest as if it's true. Because uh, you're the power of your mind, the belief paradox, you're, you, you know, so I feel like I was being led in a way that I started to feel like there was spiritual things that now, you know, factually, it couldn't have been happening. So yeah. um, I remember one time thinking I was speaking in tongues. And even in the moment, I'm like, what was I really speaking in tongues? Or did I kind of put it on, you know, that, but in your head, you're like, Okay, I'm just going to let these words flow through the spirit flow through. And you think that's really happening. You should, she should, was it the, she, she bought a Honda. She should have bought a Honda. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So uh, your experience with being coaxed into speaking in tongues, I say being coaxed because most of the time that I've ever seen it, required a person laying their hands on you encouraging you them doing it kind of repeat after me there's it was a, like you said a lot of social pressure um 
but um, I also don't think that's what that text was referring to, but um, that they used to support the, I think it was actually like translating things into another language to speak to people, which would be different. Right. You know, they're used to glossolalia might not be what it was intended for. But um, was your experience when you when you first spoke in tongues, uh, how did that go about? I was uh, on the worship team, so on the stage and, you know, singing, and it was just a moment of prayer. And so I was just like trying to let the spirit flow through me. And like, so then I was just like, la, 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 you know, gibberish. Yeah. But then thinking like, was that or wasn't it? Or maybe I did. And, you know, just going through through that. But that was really the only time that that happened. Mm. But it was during, you know. It was by myself in a way. But it's okay. I'm on stage, you know, praying. But I mean, of- you're on stage. You're performing in a charismatic church. Yeah, uh, it's performative worship and there's expectations. So maybe there's some social pressure involved with this. Uh, I don't know. Um, I mean, I felt like my experience, you know, there was a bunch of people with their hands around me. It was a lot of she shit about a Honda stuff going on. And, um, you know, it seemed physiological and performative. Uh, something I could call up and do almost any time, but I don't think it had any significant benefit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's no real purpose if no one understands you. And I remember being confused, like, well, then why? And, you know, someone told me, well, it's an angelic language. And it's like, well, don't they understand my regular language? Like, why do I have to speak in a language that only they understand? Or, you know, that didn't make sense to me. Yeah, well, and then it calls back to like ancient Greek when they had the ecstatic prophets and, you know, worship of pagan gods and people would go into those altered state of consciousness and start doing something like that. But is that really necessary, you know, in any kind of belief system, uh, the, the kind of altered states of consciousness where you got there? Um, mm-hmm. So I would say, um, you know, where those viewing the podcast who are Christian might think we just blaspheme the Holy Spirit since we're talking about it and not believing in it. Um, uh, And actually, I was going to say, even before that, so my husband went to Dallas Theological Seminary, and that was mm -hmm. one of the gifts that was considered a dead gift, like it was no longer in play. So even their very conservative religious views kind of felt like speaking in tongues was either dead or out of order if you're no. doing it in church. If you don't have a translator, it's considered out of order. So mm-hmm. even among the religious, it's not necessarily uh, an accepted practice across the board. Yeah, well, and you guys are in Texas. So Bible Belt's a little more conservative when it comes to belief. Uh, you know, I, mm-hmm. I'm out here in San Diego and the charismatic in is we're definitely a little more unhinged when it comes to being grounded in that more Baptist tradition. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so, and I, I think we'll kind of circle back to some of that, but so um, you're in ministry, you're on the worship team. What caused you to like you and your husband, like, where did you guys go in your journey that you started to like question 
um, the validity of your experiences and your belief. Like, where did you go that this experience, this spiritual experience of speaking in tongues, healing and prophecy, you started to question these things? So <clears throat> my husband worked at a church and was a pastor and he was let go at the time. And it was for like, they didn't have a budget for him and a worship pastor and they really needed a worship pastor. And that was what happened. But when we stopped going to church, we then tried to find other churches to go to. Well, first of all, when we stopped going to church, we were like, man, this is nice. <laughs> we can sleep in. We're spending way more time with our kids. We're having a big breakfast and sitting at the table. And that's way more valuable than sticking your kids in childcare and being in church for three hours. And, you know, it was, it was, we were kind of burned out at that point because we were so involved. So we, we really loved not going for a little bit, but once we were like, okay, it's time to go back to church. We visited a few. And at that point we kind of saw all the behind the scenes at that point to where we couldn't unsee it. Now we saw all the production behind it you know, knew all the work of the volunteers that went on to put this on. Um, but that was separate. Like we were still believers for a long time after that, but that was just sort of like dipping our toe and, and walking away from the church for a little bit. But for me, um, I think the whole Trump thing, like seeing, first of all, that he wasn't reelected. So I had heard a prophecy that he would get another term. And so the fact that that didn't happen was like, okay, that prophecy was wrong. So maybe God doesn't have a purpose for this very terrible leader. Yeah, uh, I know that's controversial, but um, you know, just speaking of what I was seeing, cause I was listening to all the rallies and just seeing what he was saying and promoting hate. And I just couldn't reconcile that. Um, so anyway, I couldn't reconcile that being God's will. And so once he wasn't reelected and that prophecy didn't come true, then I was like, okay, well, maybe it's not God's will. And, and there was other things like I was always bothered by, you know, the homosexual, the stance on homosexuality within the church. So that was something else I was like, I mean, if God is love and this is love, like maybe the Bible's wrong about this. And if the Bible's wrong about that, maybe the Bible could be wrong about other things. So there was that. But in the meantime, my husband was also watching a lot of YouTube videos from biblical scholars okay. who were teaching mythicism, like teaching about the similarities between myths and the Bible and showing all the ways the Bible was inconsistent, showing all the ways it was not historically accurate. So I remember him sharing this with me like, oh, historically Exodus didn't happen. Historically, Jews were never like slaves and that whole narrative. And I was just like, what? Like, that's a huge part of the Bible story and, and about Moses' existence and whether he was the author of the first five books of the Bible. And so all of those things were put into question. So it's like, well, if that's not true. Then this isn't true. Then this isn't true. And, and I just like everything was put into question. Mm. 
So then I remember reaching a point where I was like, okay, scrap it all. Like just start fresh. And what is it that you know? Like, what can I say I know for a fact? And everything that I knew for a fact had evidence. And the things of the Bible didn't, you know, like even the notion of a soul or a spirit, those are unproven claims. Um, so yeah, it just wasn't passing the evidence test. And then when I would ask Christians or read what the Christian response was, it was such fallacies being used. Like, well, if it's not true, why would all these people believe it? Well, that's not an answer. Just because a lot of people believe it doesn't mean it's true. Or, oh, you're, it's just too great for you to understand in your human brain. You know, God's just too big. He doesn't fit in our brain. And it's like, really? Like, I can understand a lot of things. Like, this seems like a pretty easy question to answer. And if he's real, like, it should be pretty easy and evident. And it just wasn't. Like, that, that was such a fallacy. Like, oh, don't you worry your pretty little head about that question. And so it was just like, the answers were insufficient on one side and the evidence was overwhelming on the other side. Mm -hmm. So anyway, long story short, I was just like, okay, I'm only gonna believe what the evidence points to. I'm gonna let the evidence lead to my conclusions instead of trying to fit my world into my beliefs. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect logical sense. Um, so I have questions based on things you said. So when you're so when you came back, you started to see the behind the scenes, the the making up of the things that happened. When your husband was in ministry, you didn't see it the first time. No, because we're like being leaders and servants, mm -hmm. and we're doing this. But now, when you're on the receiving end, you're like you know the work that it took to get those PowerPoint. Yeah presentation the lyrics on the board you know that those worship singers you know were prompted to you know do this or play like this in this moment to write mm -hmm. you know make this emotion stir in you so there was just some things that when you were on the receiving end instead of the serving end that became more apparent you, you think more about the people behind those actions um Okay. Yeah. Well, part of my journey, you know, I went to, I was involved in lay ministry, youth ministry. Then I went to Bible college. You know, I did some mission work, um, was like a young adult pastor, small group mm. pastor, stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> heavily involved with like a lot of the revival and prophetic stuff. But I worked at a church probably, you know, before I went to Bible college. So I got to see kind of the behind the scenes, the pastor's wife was the worship leader. And while I was working there, I got to see a lot of the ingredients that went into the soup and um, a lot of performative, you know, um, using music to, you know, for the altar calls and when they're doing their altar calls for money and all the different performative aspects, even to the point that 
my pastor cared what uh, the AC was set at 72 degrees because it facilitates the filling of the Holy Spirit. Oh, and I was like, why does the Holy Spirit need 72 degrees? Like, uh, what is this? Um, so seeing the the machinations behind it i i was like there's a performance base to this just not i'm not cool with um so i i saw that early on and you know um the the you know my other friend that i had on here interviewed recently you know he he saw it through his experience it's kind of different like in the different like regions denominational movements movements that you're in um but um so, like, what kind of things did you notice behind the scenes? I guess you mentioned a couple of them, but uh, is there any more, like, detail you could give to, like, just the stuff that you realize kind of behind the scenes? Yeah, I mean, even the lighting, you know, like, making sure people feel comfortable, really outpouring their worship because it's dark. Um, even I took some music writing classes and even just, like, I once was lost and you do a minor chord and now I'm found and it's a major chord and just like those kind of intentional, every intentional move to, to bring out that emotion. Um, and I think just in general, probably my husband too, just learning about the board members who are the ones running the business of things and um that that was it for for me mm. just kind of seeing the, the ingredients in the soup so mm -hmm. um you mentioned like the the end time prophecies uh or prophecies in relation to trump um I, you know, I, I was definitely gone by the time that happened. I would, I had exited, um, 2014. So, but I had seen the precursors of that and I was hearing the, the rumbles of, of noise. Um, I did a, 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 po a post on my, uh, blog recently talking about, it's a loosely affiliated group of the called the New Apostolic Reformation or New Apostolic Reformation, something like that. Um, it's a bunch of prophetic people, and they have influence within the political realm. One thing I kept hearing, and I was hearing that back in 2014, is the end of the world is supposed to, you know, Jesus coming in like 2025 or 2030, um, and it was just like this. And I, I was talking to a scholar. I'm not going to name who he is, but um, I may have him on the podcast in the future. Uh, he's worked with um, like Waco and stuff like that. Uh, apocalypticism can lead to some dangerous things. Um, and um, so I was I was that was one of the things I was uncomfortable with on my way out that I'm actually kind of glad I was on the outside observing it, but also helped me uh, notice things about my marriage that um, you know, my my marriage was was coming to a, its foregone conclusion. Um, but um, not to, to go off track too far there. Um, so what led you, were you gonna say something? Yeah, I was gonna say, so actually during that same time, my husband was still, you know, really deep and I was the one questioning first. And so 
there came a point where I was just questioning so much and so long that I felt like I needed to tell him and like come out to him. And, and originally he did not receive it well. Like it was a, a major point of contention um, to the point it was threatening our relationship for, for a day. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, and I told him like, then you should leave me. If that's how you feel, you should leave me. And then after that, he didn't bring it up again. Um, and then he started going on his own journey and, and then we were on the same page, but, um, just to, to relate to what yeah. you're saying. So it took some time to, to process that. And I can definitely talk to him about his share in that journey when I'm, when I interview him. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, any change like that's going to, you know, definitely cause a rub in the fabric of any relationship. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, so I guess what would what was the next step in your guys' journey? Where did you guys go from that point? Um, I mean, so at that point when we were going to church and we're like, eh, just put on, we were just like, okay, let's just lean into not going. That's what we are enjoying. That's what we were getting the most value out of is spending time with our kids um, and our families. Cause we, we were so involved in the church. You know, my husband was working all week and then Saturday you've got to prepare for service on Sunday. And then Sunday you have the service. And then afterwards, maybe like welcome the new people, give them a tour. And it's usually Saturdays. I was having the families in the church at our house almost every weekend. So it was like, finally, once we took a step away from church, we finally had time for our family, for our friends. And, um, so we were really enjoying that. Um, and okay. So then, you know, I told you, I was questioning and told him, and then he went on his own journey And then there came a time where we had to come out to our daughters because we had taught them one way all this time. And they were asking us about it, like, wait, so you, you don't feel like that anymore, or you don't have a problem with this anymore. And so we both had to sit down with them and be like, okay, we don't believe anymore. And here's what that means. And it's, it's been a lot of us deconstructing slowly but surely and and finding out what that means to us and what we're going to do with our new worldview. Okay. Um, I have two questions. One, before I ask my my major question, uh, how do you define yourselves? Agnostic, atheist, not believer, non-believer, spiritual? Uh, He, my husband would say he's full-on atheist I would say I I am full atheist but I have maybe some unanswered questions maybe one or two unanswered questions okay um Mm -hmm. and so my follow-up question to that is how does an atheist raise good kids and seem to be happy it's so much easier than than you would think because it's so based on reality and it's so practical and based on evidence so you know instead of teaching sex is a sin wait until marriage you know it may look like hey there's a lot of diseases out there make sure you're protecting yourself make sure you're 
you're choosing wisely, make sure that you pick a partner who's going to treat you like this. Um, and you're truly speaking facts, talking about some of the risks and pros and cons and, and all of that. I mean, uh, yeah. Um, and, and I know it may sound like my, the reason I ask is because if somebody's watching this and they're like, oh, they left the Holy Spirit, they're now, you know, professed atheist, um, you know, they can't be happy, they don't have good relationships, they're going to go to hell, you know, that kind of stuff. So, oh. Oh, so, so I was going to, to that point, um, my daughter had really bad anxiety. And I feel like being religious added to her anxiety, because she felt like God was always watching her. Um, one thing she told me about is that one time she felt so guilty because she was like barely stuck up her middle finger to herself in the room by herself and she was feeling so guilty about that so I feel like there's been some pressure lifted as far as that goes um I think that they if they ever question their sexuality then that's more of a of a walk that you've a journey that you feel open to explore without having to be fearful or feeling like God's judging you. Mm. Um, I think you're more compassionate to other people, especially I remember there being atheists in my daughter's class and, and her being like, Oh my God, like, how could you think that? And this person is evil. And like those kind of things that mm. you're othering other people when you could be open to get to know them and get to learn why they believe what they believe and you know you're not set to everyone around you has to believe like this yeah so uh when you were a christian in ministry would it be fair to say that relationships felt performative and that there was a level of relationship that it didn't go beyond it you know it it would have i would have i would i'd say it's more than just an acquaintance because how you doing? I'm highly favored. You're together mm -hmm. for your disi the discipleship. There, there's a certain attractiveness to Christian fellowship, um, mm -hmm. community, family, but it's superficial and it's performative. And I think it lacks some very genuine, deeper personal connections based in things like you've mentioned, truth, um, facts, good relationship ethics because when you're judging the other when you're I, I grew up in California so I religion out here is a little more accepting of the other and diverse um down south I, I've been there I lived there for like nine and a half years so I've felt the difference <laughs> um mm -hmm. and, and so I can relate definitely you know to those those aspects um I mean there's still you know California their their challenges is different um, but the performative relationships, like, did you, you feel like there's a lot of performative relationships and the authenticity, depthness, truthness, like how has it changed your relationships now? That's a good question. I mean, in the time I felt like we had deep relationships, maybe even too much. Like I remember a small group leader asking about my husband and I's sex life and like getting too deep and too personal for our comfort. And, you know, I think sometimes that probably could be helpful or a good thing. I think sometimes it could be 
you know, I kind of related to Scientology, how you have to tell them all your secrets to be clear. And now they have all these secrets against you type of thing. And so there is that pressure to have to portray that you have this perfect life and that things are going really well. Um, so there is that, but I mean, I felt like I had really deep, good relationships. And in fact, I feel like that's in the atheist world, you, you want that you wish you did have somewhere where you could connect with other people the same way. Um, but after we left the church, we don't talk to hardly any of those people. They haven't maintained the relationship with us. So in that way, it, it may have been a little superficial or at least temporary. Mm. Um, so, I mean, God was the center of your belief, you know, for a while. What, I mean, I mean, is, these are like basic questions. I think they're simple, but what makes you happy? What makes you feel fulfilled? What gives you direction? Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly think because this is, okay, well, I guess not. I was going to say the part of you that loves to do things is the same part of you, whether you are Christian or non-believer, but that's not necessarily true because sometimes being in the church does take away from the time of things that you could be doing that you love either because the church is against it or because they take all your time. Um, but I mean, I, I found people that I am like-minded with and connected with. I have a lot of fun doing lots of things. Like I paint, <laughs> I dance, I have great relationships with my daughters, with my husband, with my parents. Um, I think there's lots of joy and happiness I find, but I, I do understand that because that was like the last step of my deconversion is I'm like, okay, I'm going to step out of faith and maybe all these bad things are going to happen to me. Maybe, um, I'm going to get depressed or suicidal or all the things that you think is coming from God, but nothing changed. Like all the good things were still happening to me. All the joys were still there. As far as what guides me, what guides me more now is logic, reason, you know, what I want out of this life instead of waiting on what I think God has for me. It was a lot of waiting, a lot of confusion, a lot of turmoil, inner turmoil that I feel like now that I have, um, a grasp on reality and reason it's much easier to make decisions mm -hmm. and if they don't turn out good if it goes bad i mean that could happen even if you're a believer it could still mm -hmm. go badly for you like good and bad things happen to everybody yeah and that's the unanswered question by all religions like why do good things or bad things happen to good people you know like the seasons don't change everything just continues like um facts, science, you know, they're how we observe the world, right? Um, so, I mean, what, like, what, you know, how, how do you give your kids a moral compass? Like, what, what, you know, how do you raise, it's gonna sound funny, good little atheist. I mean, how do you raise, you know, good kids, you know, in, in uh, the world that you do now, when you're not teaching them the stories that, you know, 
Sunday school stories and stuff like that? Well, really, I mean, as you know, the stories aren't really that moral for the most part. That's why children's Bibles are so cut down. They only pick and choose certain stories and they're highly edited. So, I mean, I think the reason why people resonate with the stories is because they naturally have their morality in a sense, you know, people understand, like if, if the Bible said rape and harm little children, most believers would be like, no, that sounds like a bad thing because you have your own moral compass. So, I mean, I think the most part is doing for the most good, um, you have to um, like speak up and have boundaries for yourself um, and, and just teaching them what healthy relationships look like and how to set boundaries is, is the biggest way I teach them that. Interesting. Um, it, it's interesting that you talk about boundaries and healthy relationships because that's probably very important things, you know. Um, I, you know, I teach my kids like mindfulness, you know, to deal with their anger and, and mm-hmm. um, healthy relationships is an important thing. How, how do you think your views of, a, of healthy relationships and boundaries has changed from when it was Christian, how has it gotten better? A lot. I, I feel like as a female and as a Christian, you're taught a lot of forgiveness, turn the other cheek. And, you know, I think forgiveness is so important for you, but I don't think everybody deserves that forgiveness or just to like let it go and keep loving them unconditionally. And I was doing that with every relationship to the point of it being not a good thing. Like I stayed trying too long when I should have spoken up sooner. Mm. Um, I think I'm a better friend now because instead of trying to turn it to the positive or turning it to God has a purpose, God's going to use this. This is all for good. God is always good. Now it's like, man, that really sucks you know, how can I help? What do you need right now? I'm, that's way more helpful, less toxic. Um, especially like if somebody dies, you know, to die is not to gain if you don't believe that. I mean, to die is to lose somebody that you love forever. And that should be faced as such. Um, so it's just like, it's, there's a lot of parts of Christianity that make you doubt your own voice and your own feelings because you want to go by God's feelings and what God wants for you. And I think you sometimes end up letting too much slide and and not standing up for yourself enough. Okay. So boundaries, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a much better way to live. Or or like, Oh, sorry. Well, one more thing, or even like having mutual relationships where it's not you always serving and giving, but also being in a relationship where they appreciate you and give to you too. And, and having that back and forth, a two way. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's what I like the performative relationships, right. Uh, you, you know, you have more 
healthier relationships where it's mutual. Um, so um, kind of to circle back, uh, I guess, on some things. You mentioned mythicism. Um, now, what is your view of, uh, you know, do you believe in a historical Jesus? Is it a myth? I mean, what is your view of what a big part of your life was because you were a worship leader, a pastor's wife. Uh, what do you make sense of all that? And what do you believe about that now? I think whether historical Jesus existed or not is irrelevant. You know, it's like saying, is Santa real? Well, was St. Nicholas historical? Like that's another character, another definition we're not talking about that we're talking about the jesus of the bible so as far as the jesus of the bible no there's there's too many historical documentation that contradicts the bible there's too much scientific knowledge that contradicts the bible um archaeological evidence that contradicts it and there's too much evidence of other religions having the exact same ancient writings ancient stories ancient beliefs that are the same as the Bible to where it's like, if those other ones we now consider myths, there's no reason why this one is truth. It's, it's has all the characteristics of those other myths. Indeed, Jesus of the Bible is a myth. Oh uh, yeah, the first episode I had on here was Dr. Robert Price and we were discussing Jesus mythicism. Uh, in your journey, and you mentioned like different, your, your husband was studying different uh, YouTube, uh, what authors, you, like who were you guys looking to and what was kind of formulating your ideas as you were like seeking to deconstruct and to kind of understand historically accurate truth? We were watching Joel Baden, um, I saw some Matt Munger, some um, Ehrman, some David McDonald, um, Dr. Kip. Um, I mean, there's so many to list. A lot of them, like my husband was watching Yale uh, School of Divinity professors. Okay. As well as I think Duke was another one. And, and he's got probably over a thousand books that he accumulated as a believer as he went to um, Dallas Theological Seminary. So we even consulted those books too, because we were like, well, what do they, what does this MacArthur commentary have to say about what this other professor has to say? And it was, they admitted it, like there was nothing to say because it's true. And they'd be like, well, other people say that, but you know, but it's not necessarily true. Or like, there's no evidence to support their belief, like the religious belief, but that doesn't mean there's not evidence out there. It doesn't mean that it wasn't true, but it's like, but there's evidence to the contrary. So you're not looking at that, you know, you're, you're not really taking that in. So I don't know if, if that's clear, but it, we looked at both sides and both sides were pointing to the conclusion that it's not real. Mm. Um, was there any th anybody that specifically kind of stood out to you guys is like the vein that like really spoke to you guys or was just kind of like a compilation of like different people you're researching? Um, 
I would say a compilation, like one we were learning about, for example, Joel Baden, we learned more about the documentary hypothesis. So that's talking about how Moses is not the author, how it's multiple authors from multiple traditions. So that's already poking a hole in that. Meanwhile, we're hearing from another professor talking about, you know, the Enuma Elish, the Epic of Gilgamesh and learning about all the similarities between that and Jesus. So, you know, just like that, just like pieces of the puzzle from different places were all coming together to paint one very clear picture. Yeah. Uh, you know, I went on a similar journey myself. I mean, mine was, I, I, I don't know if you had a chance, but I have a YouTube video where I talk about my journey, uh, you know, in the podcast here. Um, but yeah, like Bart Ehrman, uh, James Tabor, I started, you know, a lot of books. Um, probably like your husband, I was looking at academically grounded people. Um, something that became frustrating to me is the cognitive dissonance that you experience when talking to evangelical apologists, or you, you mentioned like, they'll admit it, but then they make all these excuses and then they still hold on to their dogmas and you're just like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that's a bit much for me. I, I don't like, I like mental clarity. I don't like having a fog about something. And so um, that's always just been something that I just couldn't put my head around. Like if, if it's not true, then it's not true. And something I did also was to test things against themselves. Part of it was, you know, I was raised Jehovah's Witness. So that was being raised around a cult. And um, and then, you know, from that point out, everything was kind of like, there's a litmus test. And does truth hold up against itself is something that I always kind of uh, did. And then outside sources and stuff like that. Um, totally. So to that point, so I... During all this journey, a, a girl from the church that my husband was a pastor at reached out to me because I guess she noticed I had changed a little bit in my posts on Facebook. And so she reached out and she invited me to go to her church again and take a course that was specifically, basically explaining how, yes, the Bible is similar to all these other myths, mm-hmm. but trying to justify it, trying to explain it away. and to give an example, like I asked the pastor, like, so you're saying, because what they said was that God is using the stories that were around during that time to then reveal his truth. So I'm like, he's using lies and myths to tell truth. Like, how is that? Why would he do that? Why, you know, why not just tell the truth? And, and they make the excuse, well, it's too big of a shift, but there was many things that, that, the Bible says that were big shifts in thinking. So that's not an excuse. Or like when you find in the Bible, it says, let us make man in our image, because it's talking about a plural Elohim, God's counsel, multiple gods. But then they put it, most Bibles translate that to Lord singular, but the original text is plural gods. So then his explanation was like, oh, it's kind of like if you were to say, hey, let's get pizza. Only one person's actually paying for the pizza, but you would say, let us get pizza. And it was like, that's your explanation? Like, that doesn't make sense. So there was just a lot of silliness, silly explanations 
Uh, the defense, the defense of Trin the Trinity is quite challenging as well. I found like they're the, the New Testament text and arguments in support of the Trinity. Um, so after coming out, um, I mean, have you had anybody that was like, you're going to hell? I mean, and I guess why have you chosen the uh, online persona of apostate Anne as, as your appellation? Um, you're embracing it. Yeah, well, it's, I'm embracing it, but I'm also hiding behind it too, because Anne is anonymous. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I also feel like I do need to protect myself and my kids and, you know, from, from people who can be religious fanatics. Um, but I also feel empowered that I've challenged so many Christians, even pastors to their face, and they didn't have good answers. So now I feel empowered to speak out more. Um, and, and I didn't know a lot of the things when I was in this belief. So that also motivates me to like, man, I wish somebody had told me, I wish somebody had challenged me on these, or at least asked me questions to make me hear myself and speak out loud and try to answer these questions. And so all of that to say, I, I feel like it very, um, yeah, driven, like, like it's a purpose like it's a need to get the word out there. So I can use the apostate Anne as, as a very open um, persona or front to where you, you know where I stand up front. All right. And um, how, like what uh, inspired you and your husband to start the Apostate of Mind podcast? I mean, I'm given it's probably this journey, but like specifically what kind of motivated y'all? I think because not many people know and we want to get the word out and it, it, I feel like this is coming out now this is a lot of its newer scholarship new archaeological findings um and if you're in the bubble of church and apologists you're not going to hear the academic side necessarily so we're trying to bring the academic side to the masses and the only way we can think of yeah well i kind of share the same uh perspective you know why i'm doing what i'm doing um you know um like the document hypothesis is something i learned in bible college <clears throat> it's funny that in bible college they taught the document hypothesis for the the tanakh uh but they didn't teach the, the Q source uh, theory for the New Testament. So they were critical of the Old Testament, but they were not critical of the New Testament. And, you know, in Bible college, you deal with, they, they try to harmonize the gospels and explain away all the contradictions. <clears throat> for me, the hardest problem I had is just there's so many contradictions. Harmonizing it just, it didn't make sense to me. Um, so that was kind of, you know, one of, my eventual like divergent points was I just don't see how it can be harmonized. Um, and like Bart Ehrman and James DeBoer's, their material really spoke to me a lot. Um, there was a lot like Chaim Maccabee, the myth maker. Um, and like I had a huge library of just historical scholarship that 
somewhere between uh, moving from Arizona to California and getting divorced, I lost a lot of my books because they just didn't make it on the journey with me. Um, but, um, but yeah, so um, I know that you got some stuff to go do today. Uh, and uh, so we, we don't have to keep going too long. But is there anything that you would like to say like about your journey or just kind of end things here? Final words? I mean, I, that's, that's really good. I mean, I, I, I think when I was in the belief, I did have a lot of inner turmoil and, but I didn't realize it. You know, I was happy as far as I knew and at peace and, and all of that. But in this worldview, man, everything makes so much more sense. It's so clear. Um, and it could be even better because now your peace of mind is not based on lies, but it's based on reality. And now you can take control over your life. And that's, I feel like a believer would say, oh, well, you're being your own God. Um, but I think that's, a, a, it's a way to empower yourself to, to live the life. If we have one life here, then to live the life that you can stand behind, that you can be proud of, because if, if we do die and that's the end, how sad would it be if you lived your life according to somebody else's rules and wasted that time that you could have been really exploring all the beauty that there is in this world. And when we think about heaven, we imagine, you know, garden and love and beautiful relationships being reunited with your loved ones. But you have that now here, like enjoy it now. You, the, the heaven you imagine is, are the aspects you can have now in this life when you're living um, a, a reality-based life. Um. You know, you, you said something and I kind of want to echo it, like glossing over the difficulties in life. So, you know, probably one of the most difficult parts of my life was going through divorce with my ex. Somebody said something to me that if I was in a faith community, wouldn't have said it comes more from the military, but they said, embrace the suck. You go through the worst point in your life. And instead of giving like a fantasy reality, it's like, no, it sucks. You got to go through it. Um, working through it, you know, mindfulness, going through, like, you know, taking care of my mental health, my life choices. Um, I feel like by embracing the suck, I feel like I'm a happier, better, healthier person, better quality relationships. I mean, I got to the other side. So you don't live in the suck. But um, there wasn't a fantasy role play game where it was like, uh, you know, have faith in Jesus, you know, this happy-go-lucky where you're just, you're playing dress up, fake it till you make it or faith it till you make it, whatever. Um, but I find more quality because, you know, we deal with the, the, you don't hide this difficult, you just go through it. And then the other side, you've learned to become a better person. So mm -hmm. um, just to echo things you said is on the other side of this more real realistic experience, yeah, things aren't easy or perfect but yeah you're more I, likely to ask for help too like you're not having as mental health issues because you're sinning or god's not favoring you right now 
maybe you need help. Maybe you need counseling. Maybe you need medication. Like you're inhibiting your progress by staying in a, in a lie. Yeah. That's what I'm calling fantasy imagination role play, you know, playing dress up, um, yeah. you know, but, um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, I enjoy the interview is definitely a quality conversation. And um, so where can everybody find you? And like, uh, what are you guys working on right now? Yeah. So our podcast is on YouTube, YouTube channel, apostate of mind. So apostate of mind. Um, and our next, we've had a lot of ideas for different episodes, but I think right now we're probably going to be exploring different myths and the similarities in the Bible. We just did an episode about the documentary hypothesis, digging deep and in, into some of the contradictions in the Tanakh. Um, and then we also have a show called Belief Battles on Tuesday where believers or theists can call in and share why they believe in God or challenge our disbelief. And so that's on Tuesdays at 730 is you can call in in the show. Uh, is that on the radio or is that online? It's online. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. The, the internet makes it a lot easier to do this stuff and get it out there. Yes. Oh. Thank you so much. You're, you're a great interviewer. And I enjoyed hearing about your story as well. All right. Well, uh, thank you. I appreciate this and um, look forward to interviewing your husband and you enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Thank you.